Get ready to start your new morning ritual with our new sponsor, Mudwater. Coffee is one of America's favorite beverages, with more and more people starting their coffee habits every day with a cup of that flavorful anxiety juice. But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Millions of people complain about the jitters that come from coffee consumption. Our morning coffee rituals can be habit-forming and, for some people, can make getting a good night's sleep almost impossible. And while nearly all of us like the smell, taste, and ritual of our morning coffee, why not explore eliminating the negative aspects of our morning brew? Well, what if your coffee replacement helped induce alertness, not dependency, improve mental capacity and function, improve physical stamina and performance, improve immunity and overall health. Oh, and by the way, it tastes good enough to drink every single day. Meet Mudwater. Mudwater is your fastest growing coffee alternative in the market, consisting of organic ingredients lauded by cultures both old and young for their health and performance benefits. With one-seventh the caffeine of coffee, Mud gives you the natural energy and focus you expect from coffee, but without the jitters and crash. With an organic blend of mushrooms and ingredients like cacao, marsala, chai, turmeric, lion's mane, and more, Mud Water offers a beverage like no other. Whether you want to enjoy it hot, cold, as a latte, or however you take your coffee in the morning, Mud Water is zero sugar, zero crash, zero jitter alternative, sure to leave you feeling recharged and refocused. Listen, I'm really excited to have Mud Water as a sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show because I've been able to see the Mud Water difference for myself, and you can too, so click the link in the show notes to get some mud, support the show, and get your new morning ritual started right with Mud Water. And now, onto the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. All right. How's, how's it going to work? 2021. Is it is it better than 2020? Do we need to turn this one off and turn it on again to see how it pans out? I'm, I'm holding my breath, folks. Hopefully this year we don't have some global pandemic hopefully we don't end up almost starting off in world war three remember we actually started off the year with president trump being impeached yeah that was a year ago to start off 2020 how will 2021 start off uh, well i guess we'll see well thank you first and foremost for joining us here on the brian nichols shows hi by the way brian nichols your humble host and today of course we are uh, being joined by another phenomenal guest and we're starting off our, our look at uh number one the lockdowns here is in 2021 Part of what we're doing at the Brian Nichols Show, we're selling liberty, right? And we're, we're meeting people where they're out, uh, where they're at, rather. And we're talking about the issues that are most concerning to them as people. And by and large, as we've gone through about, oh my goodness, 100 or so episodes over the past year of the Brian Nichols Show, one of the things that we've been able to uh, come to discover is that these lockdowns, my goodness, they are really hurting a lot of really good people. And uh, today's guest is Nick Hudson from Panda. And Panda is an organization focusing on the real data and focusing on, yes, the economic data and the implications of these lockdowns across the board. And I, I want Nick on the show today to discuss exactly the ramifications of uh, these these lockdowns, both in the short term, but also long term and, and really providing some much-needed information and information that I think, honestly, is not out there uh, for folks to know exactly what's happening. So, a great conversation and an absolutely important conversation. So, without further ado, on to the show, Nick Hudson from Panda, here on The Brian Nichols Show. 
Hello, Brian. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Nick, thank you, first and foremost, for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. I said from uh, this morning here on The Brian Nichols Show, you're hailing from South Africa. So good morning from your neck of the woods all the way on the other side of the world. But the global COVID-19 pandemic, right? It's not regional. It, we feel it here in the, the States. We feel it in South Africa. We feel it in India. We feel it all over the world. And uh, right now, we're, I think we're more so feeling the uh, the long-term implications of these COVID-19 government-mandated lockdowns, which, Nick, led you to uh, to lead this new organization, Panda, focusing entirely on the economic outcomes and consequences of these lockdowns. So, Nick, kind of what got you, first and foremost, started into uh, looking at these lockdowns and the severity that they are causing? Brian, the, the story for us really started as a group of friends trying to understand what was going on. And the picture we were developing of the actual impact of the virus was that it was much smaller than it was being um, proclaimed to be. So we took a view very early that this was clearly a disease that affected overwhelmingly the elderly population and that young people were facing negligible risk. And this was clear from very early on. Um, and we were quite alarmed by the emerging trend to lock down and enforce all these draconian non-pharmaceutical interventions. We were very concerned that they might be taken up in developing countries such as South Africa, because such countries typically have large swathes of their population occupying a rung in society that is only just above po poverty. And so any kind of intervention that has a big impact on the economy stands to force people by the hundreds of millions into poverty and anybody with half a grain of common sense will realize that that kind of move has public health implications all of its own and we got even more worried when South Africa locked down and yet more worried when the promised two to three weeks to prepare the hospital system turned into a rolling lockdown that is now in its 260th day in South Africa. Um, and we formed the group more formally, got together with some other professionals. So at this stage, it was a couple of actuaries, an economist, a lawyer, and a couple of doctors. And we were using our sort of multidisciplinary skill to unpack the whole broader picture, not just of the epidemic and the virus, but of the, the implications of these political reactions. Mm -hmm. And we wrote our first paper, which was called Quantifying Years of Life Lost to Lockdown, which attempted to bring to the public's attention the fact that there was no trade-off between lives and economy. This was a completely false and silly concept. An economy does nothing other than mediate lives. And so it needed to be reframed as a question of lives versus lives. There was a profound trade-off going on. And using insurance mathematics to try and move from the economic impact to a kind of morbidity and mortality consequence, we came to the conclusion that even utilizing the most conservative projections for the uh, epidemic, by which I mean the, the most severe predictions, there was no chance that the epidemic would, would um, kill nearly as many people as the economic event. In fact, we said that 
it would be at least time 30 times the loss of life would arise from the economic impact than from the disease itself. And as I said, that was using very severe forecasts, which we actually disagreed with. We published our own forecasts, which have been incredibly accurate. We estimated our first wave or of the epidemic, as you might refer to it, within 1% accuracy over eight months. So we were, we were very accurate. That 30 times figure was based on much more uh, severe forecasts. And here we sit with a devastated economy in South Africa. But after several months of doing this, trying to motivate for ending the lockdown, for taking on the strategy of focus protection, um, which means really spending your meager resources on protecting the vulnerable and letting the rest of the society get on with normal life, we realized that it was not about the science. No matter how many times we were right about things, we were just being ignored and that our government was undertaking these foolish measures under the air cover of the World Health Organization and other countries' governments. And so we decided to take our activities international. And over the last four months, we've expanded very aggressively. We established our scientific advisory board, which now has seven eminent um, scientists, professors of infectious disease and epidemiology, um, the three founding signatories of the Great Barrington Declaration, Professors Kuldorf, Bhattacharya, and Gupta, uh, Professor Levitt, Nobel Laureate of 2012, Professor Bhakti from the University of Mainz, uh, Professor Townsend, who's a professor of psychology in the United Kingdom, and Dr. Michael Eden, who's a, a former Pfizer chief science officer of respiratory viruses. And we have also added to our actual working team uh, nearly a hundred people, most of whom are scientists of international repute, helping us navigate all aspects of the epidemic. Wow, wow. Okay, so much to unpack there, right? So the first one that that instantly, um, you know, makes me start to question is why are people going this whole mentality of trust the experts when? I mean, my goodness, Nick, you just listed off, you know, uh, a treasure trove of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of epidemiological and, and virologist experience. And yet people are looking at us who are questioning these lockdowns as the kooks. We're told that we need to trust the experts. Look to the experts. What's what's leading to, I guess, maybe this uh, rejection of, in this case, the real experts with the government narrative? Yeah, and it really is a case of that. I mean, our team includes leaders in their field genetics, in modeling, in economics, in you know, infectious diseases that really are among the very top people in the world. So this whole business of uh, follow the science, trust the experts, what, it, what that really is is code for a certain kind of authoritarian adherence to a narrative. It's what I call the bogus narrative of COVID, which simply put is, there's a deadly new virus. Um, we're all susceptible to it. Unless we lock down and wear our masks, we're all going to die. That's the bogus narrative. And the interesting thing about the bogus narrative is every single element is untrue. The, the, the virus is not new. It's a, it's a close individuum of the first SARS virus, closely related to other coronaviruses, which have been broadly circulating in the human population. That means that healthy people's bodies recognize it and are able to mount uh, an immune response 
That means we're not all susceptible. Masks are not effective, show no sign of being effective in the epidemiological uh, data. I should say mask mandates rather than masks. Um, lockdowns are, the very interesting thing about lockdowns is that basic epidemiology um, says that when you face a sharply age-graduated mortality story in a disease, as we do with COVID, which affects the young about one thousandth as badly as it does the elderly, then the actual expectation of general lockdowns is that they will cause the disease burden to shift onto the vulnerable and they will actually cause higher mortality than doing nothing. And that is, when I say basic epidemiology, that is undergraduate epidemiology, a well-known result. And as soon as you introduce age-specific mortality rates into your model, out pops that result. You hit a you 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 do a general lockdown, more people die. Wow! So the entire narrative is just bullshit, if I may use that word. And every element, not just one component. And so we we railed against this narrative with the very best science and the very best scientists. And yet people turn around and say, "Trust the experts, follow the science." What is that? It's a kind of postmodern adherence to a narrative, and that narrative is not based in reason and fact and science. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that emanates from the world of Derrida and Foucault. It's not normal science. No, it's not. And and what we're seeing is a real negative implication and result of people not trusting the real science in this case, right? And and what we're talking about is, I mean, goodness, you're talking about South Africa, right? Like your person, your average person who's in poverty in South Africa relative to your average person in poverty in America, it's night and day, I'm going to assume. And yet in America, we we think, you know, especially because, you know, I, I, I see it firsthand, the number of people losing their jobs left and right, but there are people in South Africa literally starving to death. Like people across the world, I think the number I saw was 10,000 children starving per day across the world right now. I mean, that's that's horrifying. So there there are real statistics and real outcomes that we are not seeing here in the States that are as a direct result of these lockdowns that are hurting the very most, uh, I would say the most risk adverse or the most risk um, focused among us. And that'd be the, the people who are impoverished, the people who are, you know, the, the, the needy, the, the ones who are the, the sick and so forth. Yeah, there's no question. So lockdowns, the way I see them are the most regressive policy that has ever been introduced. Um, the, the, what you're doing with the lockdown is protecting people who are not really at risk, who are very comfortably off, who can sit behind their little Zoom screens and work from home comfortably, that is not how the bulk of the world lives. And so you're transferring the disease burden, which is very slight for you, onto populations for whom it is very severe. And that is one of the most selfish acts a human being could do. And so I I look with some head-scratching at the people on the left who advocate for lockdowns because it's if you are worried about inequality if you if if that has been your mantra for decades then you should absolutely hate lockdowns they 
increase inequality like nothing else. We will see, as you say, starvation in huge numbers as a result of these consequences of lockdown. And it, the very alarming thing is there were, there were strong interventions from the World Health Organization, from the Gates Foundation, from other countries' governments, trying to persuade these developing countries to adopt these strategies. Now, I don't think those strategies were even right in developed markets. I think they're disgraceful strategies. They don't comport with pre-COVID science of any sort. And the effects as we measure them in the current epidemic are horrible. They don't save lives. But to try and impose them in developing economies was an act of great cruelty. And I shake with anger when I think of the Bill Gateses and Tedroses of the world sitting there giving instruction to these governments to implement lockdowns without a care about the socioeconomic consequences, which will clearly, clearly be much more severe than the virus. It is absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. Is there now I got to put my conspiracy theory hat on, right? Because, I mean, why not? Is there a possible ulterior motive here? Because, I mean, you look across the, the world, and, you know, here, let's just because my audience is pre predominantly American. You look just in the states. We see New, you know, New York's governor, Pennsylvania's governor, Michigan's governor, New Jersey's governor, California's governor, all of a sudden just hopping on board with these arbitrary decision-making processes for the lockdowns, saying they're they're following the science. And the science, to your point, is coming top down from organizations like the World Health Organization, which was pretty much in bed with China from the very start. And then one has to to ask. Is there a is there something behind the scenes here that we're missing that this is all part of a, some grand plan? And I'm not saying the pandemic, right? Cause I think we can acknowledge the the pandemic itself. It's a very real thing, and we can approach it in a very real way. But I'm talking more so about the approach from the governments in terms of looking at this threat and taking in uh, this opportunity for them to really seize a massive amount of a uh, control over the uh, the lives of billions of people. So let's start by saying what I think needs to be said in the context of all of these conversations. SARS-CoV-2 is a real virus that in some portion of people who are infected leads to a disease called COVID. That disease kills people, especially the elderly and severely comorbid or severely obese. It kills more people this year than a typical flu season, probably though in line with a severe flu. Its mortality rate is higher than flu for old people and lower than flu for young people. Having said all of that, I can approach this conversation of conspiracy on, along two lines. The first is, if they're telling you they're doing it and why, then it's not a conspiracy. Conspiracy is something that gets plotted in a smoke-filled room um, with people who are out to benefit themselves uh, at the expense of everybody else. That's number one. Number two, I wish there was a conspiracy because it would be far easier to understand and to uh, manage against than what we're dealing with, which is, first of all, the consequence of a terrible degree of centralization. Way too much power has landed up in the hands of far too few individuals 
and they're riding, riding roughshod over parliaments, over constitutions, over law, under the cover of this supposed deadly virus. And many of these parties have strong economic incentives. They also have delusions of grandeur and a kind of egomaniacal approach to the setting and the situation. They believe that they know what is good for the rest of the world and that the pain that they're distributing is going to be worth it in the long run. And I think that that is a fundamental institutional failing. Nobody should have as much power as these people have. So I look at the incentives. I look at the alignment of commonality of interest um, between these big players. And I don't see in it conspiracy. I see in it abuse of power. So how do we... failing of governance. I was going to say, so how do we get out of this, right? Because right now, I think that's the the number one question, not just across the, the states, but across the world. Because it seems like far too often than not... We've seen these, um, these, I'll say, governors or uh, executives taking these powers and more often than not, not yielding back their emergency powers once the, the crisis is averted. I mean, goodness, just in New Zealand, they just decided that now that they haven't had coronavirus for how many days is it that now um, they can have life back to normal. And that's that's very dystopian, I would say. So what's the next step? What's the plan of action that I guess the folks who are more in the, hey, we can act like rational folks and make risk decisions based on our own risk assessments. What, what's that kind of, a I guess, plan of attack for us going forward? Well, people definitely need to start speaking out, standing up, rising up. I would like to see a mass burning of mosques. I would like to see people raising their voices, challenging their politicians. I would like to see the media finally start to wake up to the incredible damage that is being done to the people they're meant to protect against the powerful. They have sided with the powerful against the vulnerable, against the poor, against all the marginalized groups. And that needs to change. And I think there's a difficulty there because those same powerful people who have been directing this foolish healthcare policy also have their tentacles into the ownership of media. There's an unholy alliance between big tech, between the supranational organizations and media and politicians. There's much corruption. Behind all of these scientists who are maintaining the bogus narrative is funding from organizations who are pulling the strings. And none of that is conspiracy. It's all out in the open. And it's a big problem. And until people stand up and until they start making their voices heard, we are not going to be able to get traction on the pushback. Yeah. And and now I guess the, the question is, how long? I mean, I, I saw a number, I think it was $18 trillion in lost productivity just from the United States alone. I believe it was. So, I mean, the, the, the numbers that we're going to see in terms of lost economic productivity, it's going to be devastating. So, Nick, I ask you, what's what's going to be the, the timeline? Is there a timeline for us to get some road to recovery? Well, I mean, the economic recovery will take many years. We may even have to measure it in decades at the rate things are going because the hole just gets dug deeper and deeper. Um, but at least in terms of arresting the policy, <clears throat> I would I would think that we need to 
do this within months. There are many very dystopian things on the horizon. All of these immunity passports, health passports. I see now New York has uh, made some modification to law to make it legal for a workplace to demand that its employees become vaccinated. I think that kind of law needs to be attacked as unconstitutional. Um, so we need to form grassroots organizations, collectives of lawyers and doctors who are prepared to do the hard work of pushing back against this insane kind of idea. Yeah. And now I'm looking at you guys, right? And what you're doing at Panda, getting all the data pulled up right now, obviously this is going to be a resource for folks going forward to leverage because I think there is a lot of misinformation. I mean, there's a reason they, they and the mainstream media, the corporate media, uh, they're only talking about the total cases that we have in the United States. They're not looking at it more objectively. They're not breaking it down with some context and nuance. So when folks go ahead and start to check out all the data you guys have, what can they expect? What are some of the, uh, the, the key factors that you guys are looking into? Well, the, the, the headline story at the beginning was the economy-mediated impact on mortality of lockdowns. The next story was the ineffectiveness of lockdowns as a NPI, as a non-pharmaceutical intervention. Mm -hmm. We are about to release a paper showing that, as expected in basic epidemiology, lockdowns actually cause greater COVID mortality. You can also look on our website to understand the dynamics of resurgences. Um, we have many, many resources, interviews, uh, articles covering these topics. So there's a wealth of information there. If you started listening to all of our podcasts, interviews, um, and so on uh, today, you wouldn't be finished by the end of next month. Um, there's so much material there now. Um, we also, You will also see recently released our protocol for reopening society, which was designed in support of the Great Barrington Declaration. And that's probably about an eight-page document that details what we believe governments should be doing. And we are hoping that lawyers, ordinary private citizens, business owners will use that document as in, in, in letters to their congressmen, senators, mayors, um, to ask whether this wouldn't be a better way forward than these incredibly costly and deadly measures that are being used at the moment. So that's kind of where it's at. We've also got uh, quite a, a business going in connecting the various organizations around the world who are pushing back against the malarkey, uh, doctors, groups, legal groups, um, and of course, the scientists. And so we are gradually roping together organizations around the whole world uh, in the last few days, I've spoken to people in New Zealand, in England, in the United States, in South America, got a conversation coming up with the Philippines. So we really are working very hard to try and combine these groups so that we're not replicating work, that we can leverage off each other's work. We're supporting legal cases. We join them as amicus curiae or friends of the court. We support petitions to local parliaments and European parliament with content. And that content then comes with the imprimatur of the scientific advisory board. And we produce very impressive founding affidavits for cases and supporting material for lawyers who are trying to take on 
people in their own jurisdictions. And because our, our data is fully international, it doesn't concentrate on South Africa, it covers the entire world, we are able to assist in a variety of jurisdictions. And obviously, this is something, as you said, that can be used across the world. So I want people to be able to support you guys, right? Because this is an organization uh, that I, I think we need to really be focusing on supporting uh, because your mission is is not only imperative, it's it really, I think it is the number one issue of our time. So Nick, where can folks go ahead and support all the great work you're doing at Panda? Our website is www.pandata.org. There's a donate button right there, and we deeply appreciate any donations we can get because what we are ultimately mounting is a costly public relations exercise, and there is a need for that to be supported by quite a lot of resources, uh, mainly in terms of organizing and and um, uh, publishing uh, work, and so that would be very much appreciated. Um we also have social media accounts. The two that I'll mention here now are uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, where our handles are identical, Pandata19, Pandata19. So the organization's name is Panda. The website is pandata.org. The handles are Pandata19. And anything that people can do to boost our me message in their own social media networks, whether that be in their local WhatsApp groups or on their Twitter handles and Facebook accounts, um, would be very much appreciated. We need to get the word out. We're also looking for people who have time and energy on their hands and relevant expertise. We welcome hearing from people who are involved in media, who are involved in science, who are involved in economics. There's a place for them inside Panda. We have, as I said, you know, 100 or so active members at the moment, and that grows weekly. So those are the man, main ways which people can help us activate here. Awesome. And I'll make sure I include just for ease for the audience to I'll include all those links in the show notes. And uh, Nick, honestly, this is, you know, this is why we've been talking about this number one, you know, on the Brian Nicholas show since March, because I said this, this is going to be one of those things. It's this is like a, a big deal. Like this is one of those moments, like a 9-11 moment almost like this is going to be one of those blips in history that's going to have a very long lasting impact. And we need to make sure that we're talking about this as openly and honestly as possible. And whenever people are asking, well, what's the science? What's the data? Now we actually have a definitive source to uh, to leverage all the work you're doing there at Panda. So, Nick, thank you so much for you and all the work that your team at Panda are doing. Pandata. Or I'll include the link in the show notes. Nick Hudson, thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo in his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So... Head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, available in your favorite podcasting app today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up our conversation here. To start things off for 2021, thank you, Nick Hudson, hailing from South Africa. How about that audio quality, by the way? The, uh... The amazing advent of the technologies that we have nowadays to be able to have a conversation halfway across the world with impeccable audio quality, and yet it's amazing. I do 
you know, calls with folks here that are not even, you know, two hours away and uh, the audio quality and, and video quality is just terrible. So it's just, it's funny how uh, things work out that way. But thank you, Nick uh, Hudson, for joining the Brian Nichols Show and talking about the very, uh, very important details about the COVID-19 lockdowns and the very uh, real long-term implications of said lockdowns. Do me a favor, folks, you know the drill, share with family and friends. This is important stuff. Folks need to know about what's happening. And, uh, you know, this is how we are able to effectively sell liberty is to also help plant some seeds and that requires us planting seeds of information so uh, i ask you guys if you could please again share with some family and friends and do me a favor tag me at b nichols liberty twitter facebook minds.com parlor.com instagram wherever the hell it is you go ahead and tag me tag me at b nichols liberty i'll make sure i go ahead and uh, give you a thumbs up retweet share whatever the hell it is i'm gonna go ahead and do it uh and guys also uh you know i want to give a, a special shout out to the the amazing guests we had here on the brian nichols show this week jeremy Faison from uh, nashville Tennessee uh, state rep out there and also one of the leading Republicans uh, talking about the libertarian takeover really of the GOP starting uh, predominantly in these state legislatures using Tennessee as an example and how important it is for the libertarians to get involved. Mark Claire joined the show back on Wednesday had a conversation about the future of the libertarian party. Is it the way of Justin Amash, the pragmatics, the maybe the left-leaning libertarians, or maybe the folks out there in the Mises Caucus. We discuss all that and more. And then, obviously, our conversation here with Nick Hudson today. And guys, candidly, I don't know what we're going to do next week because uh, we've been so busy here at the Brian Nichols Show, but I did take a break. I took a couple of weeks off there, no interviews. So uh, we're going in next week blind. I do have some interviews lined up. I might air them uh, early. So what I'm going to need you to do, just so you're not missing an episode, I guarantee you're going to have at least three episodes next week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So hit subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher and if it's Apple Podcasts when you're there make sure you do me a favor head over there and give us a five star rating and review I greatly greatly appreciate it I'll be announcing the winner of the Evil's Topical Freeze Gel giveaway from that five star review giveaway coming up here in the next few weeks so make sure you're paying attention to that but otherwise guys thank you again from the bottom of my heart we had a great 2020 all things considered and i'm genuinely looking forward to what we can accomplish as we venture forward into 2021 and beyond so guys thank you here from the brian nichols show brian nichols signing off for nick hudson we'll see you next week thanks for listening to the brian nichols show find more episodes at brian